Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. This isn't just a feel-good idea. This isn't about permissive parenting. This isn't about just being gentle and letting your child do what they want. This is about finally understanding that nervous systems matter. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 353. Today, we're talking about emotional regulation for kids and parents with Mona Delahook. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast. So glad you are here today. This is an awesome episode. But listen, if you haven't yet done so, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you have ever gotten anything from this podcast, please do me a quick favor. Go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. It just helps the podcast grow more. It just takes about 10 seconds. And I really, really greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. We are Uh, closing in on 2 million downloads of the Mindful Mama podcast, my friend. And that's amazing. That's all happened because of you, because of this amazing audience sharing it and growing the podcast all totally organically. And if you can leave that review, that helps that grow more. We're going to jump over that 2 million download mark. Yay, it'd be so exciting. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with my friend, Mona Delahook, who is a licensed clinical psychologist with more than 30 years of experience caring for children and their families. She's a senior faculty member at the Profectum Foundation and a member of the American Psychological Association. She's the author of her first book is Beyond Behaviors, Using Brain Science and Compassion to Understand and Solve Children's Behavioral Problems. And her new book is Body Brain Parenting, How to Stop Managing Behavior and Start raising joyful, resilient kids. So I am love talking to Mona, and we had the chance after our conversation to meet up in person in LA, and she's now one of my parenting world BFFs because we had an amazing time, and I just love her so much. And you are going to love her too. We're going to be talking about 
that holy grail of parenting, helping our kids regulate their emotions. But you know, how do we do that, right? And we're also gonna be talking about how do we know if your child is deliberately testing boundaries or having a fight, flight or freeze stress response, right? So if you've wondered about this, you are in luck because this is what we are going to talk about today. So join me at the table as I talk to Mona Delahook. All right, so Mona, do you want me to call you Mona or Dr. Delahook? Mona. All right, Mona. You can use awesome. my, my full title in the intro. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that whole thing afterwards. Yeah, but please call me Mona. Okay, sounds good. Well, welcome. Thank you for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. I'm so excited to be here, Hunter. Thanks for having me. Okay, so you are a clinical psychologist. You've been working for more than 30 years with children and families. Obviously, you've got a passion for this. What what made you get into this? Was it was it what what made you get started? Well, um, yeah, I do have a passion for it. And once I realized that I loved um, babies and toddlers, um, and I had three, but I didn't want to go on to having 10, which could have been easily me because it was so fun. Um, I decided to specialize in early development, infant and toddler development. So um, that even increased my passion. And that was over 25 years ago. And that's when I started to study the body. Um, Because when you're talking about early development, all you have is the body. And I learned about the work of the autonomic nervous system, one of our nervous systems, um, through someone who became a friend of mine, Dr. Stephen Porges, who has developed the polyvagal theory. So I integrated the body into my practice. and for about a couple decades, and then um, became pretty um, aware that our education system and even my field of mental health was still very top down, was still mm-hmm. very, you know, judgmental and shaming of parents and even of children who had challenging behaviors. So I decided. Um, to to start to document that. And I started a blog and I I wrote a book called Beyond Behaviors um, that talked about the role of the body and also the difference between a stress response and a purposeful misbehavior. And um, I just, you and your book, your amazing book came out in 2019, mine did as well. And you talked about a stress response. And this is coming from people who are in body mind, right? Mm-hmm. It's so revolutionary. And that's my passion. That's what gets me up in the morning. Um, and I'm also kind of- <laughs> Well, hoping- I'm with you. Oh my God, right there. <laughs> oh my gosh, right? Isn't it? It's, you know, it is, it's almost everything. I think understanding the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. The whole body. I mean, we have this conception that we're just gonna, and this is what our culture tells us. Like everything is just a choice and it's all this like kind of top down thing. And it's kind of the way our culture has been for hundreds of years, but it's not, there's so much to understand about the biology, the nervous system. And I love that your book approaches it and teaches parents about the kids' nervous system and our own nervous system. I mean, cause this is so, so vital. Well, it's so, so vital. And, you know, I, there, I, I honestly wish there wasn't a need for, for that book that I wrote because in there I have dozens of stories about children. And, and like you said, like uh, um, a, a microcosm of our culture is the education system. And mm-hmm. the children in my practice that I knew were having stress behaviors due to their body's interpretation of the world around them, including the adults, um, was not due to purposeful misbehavior, but then they were being treated with these expensive um, plans that involved timeouts and ignoring them. And those things that we know stress the nervous system even more. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. 
And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So I want to go back to basics here for the listener. So that, you know, you talked about this top down judgmental shaming approach and you talked about how, you know, in, in your first book, you talk about kind of going beyond behaviors. And I love that idea talking about how the idea that, I mean, to me, as I started to understand this in a, in a very simple way, was like, oh yeah, our kids nervous system fight, flight, or freeze is like, that's like pretty much, that's like the fully developed system when they're born, right? Because that's the most vital, keep you alive system. And so fight, flight, or freeze, like those are a bunch of behaviors that happen from a nervous system response. And is is this what you're talking about? This idea that moving beyond this idea of misbehavior and looking at what is underneath this behavior? Because I think that a lot of us, you know, this is still filtering in, like we're not we're not totally there yet as far as like fully accepting this idea. So tell me a little bit more about that basic piece. Yeah. So unbelievably, it has not filtered in yet into our general culture. Um, and I'm excited about uh, depositing it into the parenting, <laughs> into the parenting world um, with, you know, a hefty amount of science only because that's how you, I think that's how you get acceptance. It's like, no, this isn't just a feel good idea. This isn't about permissive parenting. This isn't about just being gentle or, or letting your child do what they want. This is so much more than that. This is about finally understanding that nervous systems matter. And um, I think the, the, the piece that is just giving me so much energy around this is that it's not just um, about the autonomics, like the fight, fight or flee uh, or freeze, but the work of Lisa Feldman Barrett, who's mm. a very popular, her work is taking off like lightning. It, 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 it segs into this and it adds another dimension. So I am so excited about this time. And I also just honor, like you found this journey through seeing how well it works. And I found this journey through seeing how once we do this, it worked with hundreds and almost thousands of patients that I've seen over the past 30 years. So uh, as much as I loved my private practice, I had to start writing because I really want it to filter into our general culture more. That's so awesome. And, and Mona's mentioning Lisa, Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. She was on episode 267, dear listener, amazing episode. So make sure you go back and listen to it, but what, what you're saying. So, and you open your book with a story of a parent who's, uh, she's an, uh, a, a teacher of young kids, right? So she knows about how to deal with kids and she's totally frustrated with her child and she's using some of the tools she knows from her classroom. She's using the, you know, the sticker reward chart. She's, you know, 
trying to distract her child. They have, there's a big meltdown and maybe we can apply this idea of like the, the, what's happening in the child's nervous system to the behavior kind of with that example. Yeah. Great. And uh, just an incredible, first of all, I know you're in this boat of no blame, no shame. This is no blame, no shame. This was an amazing mom, a teacher, you know, a well-organized classroom. And so she just used all her skills for to getting to help her kid, her child prevent a tantrum and it, and it didn't. Um, so, so the way we can think about it, I think is, is asking ourselves in the moment, a simple question. And that is, is this a top-down, motivated, intentional, purposeful behavior, or is this a bottom-up or a body-up behavior? We Mm -hmm. know that these um, automatic, very fast behaviors, like in the they were at at Target, and all of a sudden he got into such a state that he chucked the candy bar and it hit the cashier in the face. It was horrible (laughs) for everyone involved, right? (laughs) Everyone was humiliated. But let's think about this. We don't really distinguish body up from top-down behaviors. So, uh, you know, that's one thing we can do right away. We can think about, is the body precipitating this behavior because it is suddenly in the sympathetic nervous system or what I call the red pathway? It, 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 the child or the adult, we don't choose that pathway. Mm-hmm. The body chooses it for us. It's a protective mm-hmm. pathway, even though the results can be horrible. So I try to help parents understand that, first of all, let's figure out where we are, where our body is, if we are sturdy enough, if we are present enough, if we're not so triggered or activated ourselves, because those behaviors, like when your child injures someone, that can cause us so much shame and you know mm-hmm. trigger ourselves. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's really a way of looking at behaviors through this holistic brain-body lens and starting to find so much more self-compassion for us, for myself as a parent, and also for my child and less blame because we understand the etiology. I talk about behaviors as the tip of the iceberg. That's just mm-hmm. a little tip, but what's underneath is where we get our true answers. Okay, so you're looking at this situation with this, this parent and saying, you know, it looks like this chucking of the the candy bar was something that probably was motivated by the body, right? The child's feeling threatened, you know, the, the stress response is being activated and the child's motivated. How do parents, how do parents tell in a moment like that? Like you're saying, like, ask this question. A lot of us are in, you know, we're in a, a culture that, you know, that assumes that kids are manipulating parents, like, and assumes that like there, we have a lot of like power struggles in our culture, right? Like as far as like who's in control and and whatnot. Right. And, and so it it can be, I imagine it's going to be really hard for a lot of parents to be able to tell, you know, is, is this something, a top-down thing my child's choosing versus is it like a body motivated behavior? Yeah. Yeah. And the way we know the difference, um, is through something called biomarkers. And all biomarkers are, are the things we observe on our child's body. It'll tell us the difference between a motivated behavior that is, you know, thoughtfully thought out, might be limit testing, which children do when we want them to, because that's part of growing up, right? And a stress response, a stress behavior, which is not motivated. It is instinctual. So here's how you, here's how you know the difference. Um, a stress, well, they're long lists and I describe it in a whole chapter in the book, but here's some basic mm-hmm. biomarkers. Um, when you are in an activated re- uh, red pathway, risk, you know, fight or flight, you will have, the action will be very quick. It will be, it, it could happen very fast, right? Mm-hmm. It just seems like one minute your child is okay. The next minute they're checking a candy bar at the cashier. Um, you also have different other physiological signs. The child might have sweat on their nose. They may, their heart rate may be going faster or it may be mm-hmm. irregular. They may be have sweaty palms. Um, their, the look on their face 
actually changes. The vagal nerve um, innervates different muscles in the face. So you might see eyes that are wide open or darting around. Um, you will mm -hmm. see um, the, the, upper, the upper face looks kind of activated. There may be growling or, or screaming or yelling or mm -hmm. um, animal sounds, you know, all these different things that we can see on the body, including um, the last one I'll mention uh, is the rate and rhythm of movement. So those behaviors that have a high movement, you know, like running away, mm -hmm. hitting, spitting, kicking, those behaviors that are so hard for us as parents, mm -hmm. those are typically um, through our biomarkers, we can, we can consider those stress behaviors and not motivated behaviors. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And then do you yeah. want me to give you an example of the other kind or not? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great because I'm trying to imagine like a kind of a top-down motivated behavior. I can imagine, I can picture like my young, a young child like looking at me straight in the eye and taking that cup and going, you know, and just dumping it over. Like that would be like that one I would interpret as like, you have chosen this child. <laughs> right on. Exactly. Exactly. That would be a perfect example of a toddler behavior, right? Or, mm -hmm. or, or later, you know, there, yeah. there's thoughtfulness, you're grading your movements. This is a scientist. This is a little scientist going, I'm going to experiment here. I'm going to see what kind of a reaction there's going to be. And I'm going to do it on purpose. So mm. that's a hunter. That's a perfect uh, example. And that could have been this little guy, you know, the next day, cause he was four. So, you know, that is a, a very good example in an older child. It might look like, um, so you've, you've put the iPad away for the night and they know the cupboard it's in and they know you fell asleep. So your middle schooler may go and find that iPad and sneak it out and play video games because they know you're asleep. That's a very good testing behavior, very expected. And of course we would have different consequences for that than if a child was suddenly on the couch and they get a, a shaming, um, message on their IG feed and all of a sudden they throw the iPad across the room because their nervous system has just detected threat. Mm, okay. Yeah. And this is so fascinating. I mean, you know, and this is what you're teaching is so beautiful because I mean, this is like what I'm te teaching to parents, right? Is that like when 
we have these quick responses when we're losing it, we're, we're yelling or we're, you know, swatting at our kids. These, these are a lot of, this is not something we would choose. It's not something we would consciously choose. It's an, it's our nervous system. And it's not something that we should be blaming and shaming ourselves for, but we do have to kind of take responsibility for, right? Like these are, these are our actions, but it's not, it's not like anyone chose. It wasn't like you made a conscious choice to, to, to scream at your kids. Right. So, so, and we can look at our kids behavior the same way. They're not making that conscious choice to huck that candy bar or to like kick their brother. You know, I mean, a lot of times, a lot of those behaviors that we get so frustrated with are probably these body motivated behaviors. I imagine that's what you're seeing. Absolutely. And I love what you said. It's, it applies to us just as much as it applies to our children. It's a human thing. It's not just a child thing. And I think once we realize like I have a story in the book, once we realize it's all of us that we can be more uh, gentle with ourselves and more self-compassionate. Uh, in the book, I had a story of, of, I was just on my wits end, long day, picking up children at the line. And one of my three didn't want to get in the car and I broke. I just picked her up very roughly, kind of threw her in the car, you know, I, and, and I screamed and there was, I'll never forget the look on the face of a mom that I knew she heard the scream and she looked at me with horror. And I, oh my gosh, can you imagine that? You know, I was thinking I am the world's worst person and nonetheless, I'm a therapist. So I should just, <laughs> I should just pack it in and forget this whole mothering thing. But I'm, I'm sure we can all kind of um, think about times where we've lost it. And that was a good example. Um, in the words of, of uh, Dr. Barrett, my body budget was gone. I left mm-hmm. it all on the, on the therapy couch. I left it all at work. I had nothing left. And it was up to me um, to develop awareness and mm-hmm. self-compassion and this awareness of my physical um, needs, actually, because I think as moms, we often... And possibly dads too, of course, like we often as parents are stretched and we don't know it because our culture tells us that our brain and body are not connected. You know, they, we are, we are are reinforced for ignoring our body signals, you know, by working long hours and, um, you know, production, having a lot of production. So Mm-hmm. It's such a, it just takes the load off of us. I think it gives us more compassion for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to understand that, yeah, we all have this nervous system. We got to deal with it, you know, and we've got to, yeah, we've got to take care of ourselves or yeah, I've been there. I remember like crying at the arriving at the school, giving, giving this amazing, wonderful teacher, my child, and then bursting into tears because of pure relief. <laughs> thank you and i walk right now oh oh my gosh but this is i just want to like read it so so mona's talking about the work of lisa feldman barrett and lisa says that they're talks about how our brain is geared, wired, our whole body, right, is wired for survival and that we, our brain is looking at our body, our body's budget of energy, of resources, of like nutritious food, right? Like glucose and salts, whatever it translates into, like in the chemistry of it, right? And saying, you know, you need resources here, you need resources here. And when we, when we run out, then we're, as we know, we are then useless for our children. And that's, that's really where that piece about self-care is actually yes. a responsibility comes yeah. in. Yeah. In her words, that's when you need a deposit into your body budget or your child's body budget. You don't need another withdrawal. And yes. so that de- realizing when we need a deposit as a parent, I think is transformative because it, uh, it, I think it helps us not land in those scary places that we don't really that we don't want to land in. Um, and it also gives us more of a, of, of an understanding of children's behaviors. And I still, and you know, like we said, I think our culture is still struggling 
with this idea that of how much discipline or non-discipline do you give? And that's the wrong question. To me, the question is, is this uh, evidence of a depleted body budget and the child in need of support? Um, yes. Yeah. I love that question. And I'd love to talk about a little bit about the, you know, you, in the very beginning, you mentioned the top-down approaches that, you know, um, that are judgmental and shaming of parents and kids. Like you talked about timeouts and ignoring are a lot of times not what kids need. Um, what, what are some of the approaches that may be um, leftover approaches from the past that are still continue to be in use that aren't supportive of understand of understanding our kids. What are the things that we want to kind of watch out for that may be things that other other you know parenting coaches or books are recommending to us or even the schools may be recommending to us. Yeah. Well I think uh, here's one that just the first one that comes to mind because I think it's it's very prevalent and it's a almost uh, a rule in the education system, it seems to me. And that is that you should ignore inappropriate behaviors or mm -hmm. ignore behaviors that you are deeming as um, non-compliant or whatever, you know, non-preferred, I should say, in, a, in our mm -hmm. education system. Like, do you ignore a, a quote unquote bad behavior? And um, the, the new paradigm in thinking about that is that is what kind of behavior is this? And what I've witnessed over and over again in the school system is that those behaviors that are ignored are typically stress behaviors. Those are when children are either a depleted body budget or their nervous system is detecting threat, which is subconscious. There's something mm -hmm. happening either in the sounds, in the movement in the room or something inside their body that puts them onto the sympathetic fight or flight um, pathway. And then what an individual in that state needs is social engagement, is compassion, is witnessing an, an adult saying, oh, sweetheart, this is a situation. Let's see how we can help you. Mm. And mm -hmm. over and over again in our education system, even in our preschool and even in like things like Head Start, teachers are taught. In, in their training to ignore such behaviors because they are there for getting quote unquote negative attention. Mm -hmm. And I'm dismantling yeah. that whole notion. I don't think there is such a thing as getting negative attention. Children want to please. As Ross Green says, children do well when they can. And I truly believe that. So there's an example, you know, ignoring behaviors is not, um, is, is really something I don't recommend because we wanna pay attention to what's underlying the behavior. Remember, behaviors are the tip of the iceberg. So I can imagine a parent listening to this and saying, well, my son, you know, goes and picks on his little sister when I'm giving child number three some attention, right? Like when, and so he's wanting me to give attention to this yeah. through this behavior. I, how should I respond then? Because I don't want to reinforce it, right? We don't want to reinforce those behaviors. Yeah, um, great question and great thinking based on what how we traditionally view behaviors. So a great question. And who can't relate to that? Because things happen, especially when you add multiples and there's not just one child, but another one, right? It's sibling rivalry is so it's so expected and it's really hard as well. So the mind shift would be, so you see child number, um, you're with a, a baby, uh, maybe nursing or just taking care of a, a younger, your youngest. And then you see child number two bugging child number three. And in your mind, you could think, oh my gosh, there they go again. I'm just going to ignore this because he's trying to get my attention. Or you can say his little body is starting to feel antsy. I see the biomarkers. He's starting to move. His eyes don't look soft. His, his body, it looks tense. He's darting around the room, looking at me and then looking away from me. I think he's starting to get into a stress response. So what can I do with right now? What you can do in that moment is you don't change what you're doing. The baby needs you, of course, um, mm -hmm. but you can be two places at once. Mm 
by letting the ch- by witnessing what the what you see. Mm. Oh, sweetheart, here I am nursing the baby again, and I see that you are kind of trying to sit on sister's lap, and she doesn't want to. Hmm. All right, buddy. Hey, um, could you maybe uh, go bring your coloring book and sit by me? I'd love to be close to you. That's just an, you know, I'm just mm, yeah, 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 yeah. But what I'm saying is you can you can um witness what's motivating, you can guess at what's motivating a child, and we can choose to see it not as a misbehavior, but as a stress behavior. And sibling rivalry, especially after you get a new baby in the house, or if you've got you know, multiple children is very common. And of course we set, we set family values and rules about how it's, what is allowed between siblings and what's not part of our, how our family does things and what's behaviors are allowed or not allowed, but you can set nice, beautiful boundaries and be empathic for the underlying motivation at the same time. I love that. It's that whole you know, that what you're saying is like this child is having a moment of like, I need to be seen and heard. I'm feeling right. Like the needs are like, see me, hear me. And you're saying, yeah, stay there, nurse the baby or whatever it is. And you can see and hear the other child. I mean, and that it's like, kind of like, it's like name it to tame it, right? We're acknowledging what's the reality right now? So rather than ignoring, we're acknowledging, oh my goodness, I'm here with the baby. Oh my goodness, you're over there. You look like you got ants in your pants, buddy. You know, Yes. Um, and we can start to just, and all of this, like it always comes back to that, like ability to like be aware, to be alert, right? To be able to be present. It's interesting. Exactly. And since you know Lisa, um, I'll share with you her application to that. What's happening when that little guy is darting over, looking at you um, and and starting to bug their sis- his sister or their sister is that the, his brain is predicting that you are not available. So the brain is constantly mm-hmm. predicting based on current information and past experiences. Yeah. And this is beyond, not consciously, this is happening lightning seconds. So actually that brain's prediction is causing his body to move. It's causing the body to have this basic negative affect or feeling and the movement is there to help him feel better. So you're absolutely right. If we can witness it with this deeper understanding of, ah, this is interesting. This is what's going on and throw away our notions of negative attention and you need to clamp down harder and you're not being hard enough on your children. All of these things are still being told to parents by well, well well-meaning family members or pediatricians. I, I, I see it all the time in my practice. So there's All a lot right. of confusion out there. So dear listener, watch out for the advice to ignore your kid. I would, uh, of course, I, I know, but I just want to say out loud that of course it includes timeout kind of thing. This is, I mean, I know this is not effective, but maybe you could tell us why this is not effective from that body brain based position. From the body brain-based position, timeouts are generally given to children with the most egregious behaviors, egregious meaning activated. And that would be those red pathway behaviors that I call them like, um, you know, fight or flight behaviors are indications that the child needs a deposit and not a withdrawal. The worst Mm -hmm. withdrawal you can do to a human is take away you, is take away your attention. And so actually, if you give a child a timeout when they are in that state, their bodies are going to feel worse. And it actually might begin to teach them. And, uh, you know, let me just say, first of all, no blame, no shame. I Mm -hmm. doled out timeouts when my children were young because I was trained that they were the best thing ever. So no Mm -hmm. blame, no shame. Okay. This is Mm -hmm. like, we have to just embrace ourselves. But just let me say from a neurodevelopmental perspective, if you give a child a timeout when they're highly activated, their biomarkers are going to get more agitated and they may learn that they have to stuff their feelings 
or mm-hmm. pretend to be okay when they're actually not okay inside in order to get our attention again. And wow. we really yeah. want to raise children who don't have to stuff their feelings and who can talk to us and be vulnerable with us. So uh, that is, I'd say that is when a timeout is not a good idea. Now, let me just distinguish. If, mm-hmm. if a child has done something that you feel they should think about, if again, mm-hmm. if it was a motivated behavior, if maybe they mm-hmm. lied or, or hurt someone's feelings, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, sweetheart, you know, maybe it'd be a good idea for you to, to go think about that for a little while. Maybe you want to take a walk or just to be with yourself. So I think mm. that's a, you know, that might not mm. be a timeout, but I really think that there is, that it's okay to let children be with themselves and think about stuff, but that's completely different than giving them a timeout for a stress behavior. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, that delineation. And you talk about that, like this is about in your book, like how this is about being aware of like individual differences with children. It's not about like, there's a a strategy that we follow all the time, like this like consistent quote unquote parenting strategy, but you're talking about awareness, bringing like really mindfulness, right? This uh, mindsets of, of kindness and curiosity to um, to what's really happening. This is interesting. So you raise kids, like as you're learning all this, as you're doing all this clinical practice, did this, how did this like change the way you were parenting your own kids? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Like (laughs) night and day, I had a a, a well-meaning pediatrician scare the daylights out of me on one of my children. And she's saying, I think she has this diagnosis. You know, the DSM is this Bible of psychiatry. And of course I knew exactly what she was saying. It's like in that model, it's like, oh, your child may have this. I panicked and it was horrible. And and the stress that you go through as a parent, um, when you hear something from a professional about your child is so enormous. So. Um, I'll never forget. I'll just tell you, Hunter, I'll never forget. I was sitting in a, in a study session at a colleague's house and we were talking about truly the difference between top-down and body-up behaviors. And it flashed in my head that this was my daughter. Everything that I was worried about that I told her pediatrician about who gave her a label mm. was not a psychiatric problem. It was her body's reaction to the world. Her detection of safety and threat in the world was different than mine. She was highly wired to detect things that I couldn't even hear or feel. And I remember just having tears running down my face. That was a seminal moment when I realized, oh my goodness, this is going to help my my mothering and this is going to help my patients. And that was over two decades ago. Wow. That's cool. So what changed? What did you do differently? Well, I stopped giving timeouts. (laughs) I, I think the, the internal change, the context, the story I told myself changed Yeah. before I'd be like, when my children were doing something, the first thing I think is, can the neighbors hear the screaming? You know, are they going to think, you know, cause one of mine was a shrieker. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are the neighbors going to think? And, and are we, are, am I doing the right thing? Are my children polite and respectful? I was so concerned about, um, am I doing this right? And then it, what shifted was my lens. Then like, for example, when, when one of my children refused to go to Disneyland, I was like, oh, this isn't just someone who's spoiled and doesn't want to go to Disneyland. There's a real reason here. It is completely overwhelming her nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so it led me to more compassion naturally. And um, years after that, I met someone who's like one one of my heroes, Kristen Neff. And I went to long retreats with her and on the near the um, Big Sur in the California coast and realized how beautifully self-compassion fits because it allows Mm. us to see our children through a new lens. The science helps me know the mechanics behind what's going on, but the end result 
is more grounded relationships for life. And I am, you know, I might teach my children are my greatest teachers and I'm so grateful to be, to have the relationships that I have with my children now because of the lens shift, I think of less worry, less freaking out, less blame. And, and not thinking that it was my discipline or not being consistent enough. It wasn't that. It was their body. It was their, their needs, their, it was their, their individual differences. That's right. If yeah. Every one of our children has these unique differences and this is, uh, oh my gosh, it's the, the concept of interoception mm-hmm. that um, I talk about in the book is how our bodies are, are constantly sending feedback to our brain about what we're experiencing like 24 mm-hmm. seven. Mm-hmm. It's huge. That's going to help us help parents if they have confusing behaviors in their children. This idea of interoception of this body up feedback is, is going to break things open. I hope if it's, <laughs> if I have anything to do with it. Well, uh, for interoception, right. Is this, as far as I know, it is the sense of, how you're sensing the inside of your body, which is kind of interesting, right? Because most of our senses are trained to the outside of our body, right? For survival. So we don't have a lot of like, I, like for instance, I really can't feel my kidneys or whatever, right? Right. But, um, but we can sense inside our body, right? We can sense our muscles tight, maybe in our shoulders or our jaw. We can sense muscles tightening and blood flow and things like that, but it's not something that we are often feeling. And so I know from a mindfulness perspective that this sense of interoception mindfulness really builds this sense of like being able to have a greater sense of your body and what's happening. What is the information your body is giving you? How for the parent who's listening, maybe this is the first time they've listened to a podcast on parenting. They're like, but Mona, what the heck are you talking about? How is this going to help me parent my kids? Yeah. How would you answer that question? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it, bringing it to the practical because that's what it, what, that's what matters. What, okay. The, the awareness of our body sensations is also, is actually called <clears throat> interoceptive awareness. Interoception is largely subconscious. So like you said, you don't feel your, your liver and your kidneys and your stomach. If you, you know, all of those things, we don't actually feel that. Thank goodness. That would be really freaky. But what we can feel is things like a a tummy clenching, heart rate beating fast, sweaty palms, or basic feelings. Like I feel yucky inside right now, mommy, or you know, I feel good or bad. Those are called basic affects or feelings, basic feelings inside of our body. What, what um, research is showing, what neuroscience is showing is that these basic feelings are actually the foundation for eventually understanding emotional literacy. Mm-hmm. Labeling your feelings appears to start with this awareness of your body. And I know some adults um, and many children who can't label a feeling. And there's, you know, so much compassion for that. But in the later parts of the book, I talk to parents about how we can start to, the best thing we can do to help our children eventually develop emotional literacy. That is the ability to talk about what they're, what's going on in terms of their feelings and their states rather than acting it out is to slow down with them, is Mm -hmm. to notice ourselves, is to help them notice their basic feelings. And um, it can be as simple as, you know, you're driving in the car and uh, a siren goes off and one of your children gets scared and and, um, covers their ears. And you can say, oh my goodness, where did you feel that in your body? And, um, it's, that's the start. That's the start is this awareness that we can have these sensations and make sense of them. One day it'll help us organize our emotional life. Yes. Yes. Oh God. We could just, it's like, we're coming over against our time, but I'm like, yes, there's so much from there. Right. Like as we, as we do that. Right. And 
we feel these things and then we become, uh, we can raise a generation who aren't afraid of feeling these sensations in our bodies. Right. Whereas like the past generations, we're just, we generally push it down or avoid it or any discomfort in the body. We, we kind of run away from mentally and physically. And so then we don't have this awareness and we don't have an ability to tolerate discomfort. And there's, that's the ability to tolerate discomfort and to understand that this is a sensation in my body and it's not, I'm okay. It's just a sensation in my body is enormously freeing and helpful in life. It's enormously freeing. And you would not believe the research that's coming out that I talk about um, in brain body parenting is that they are discovering that children and adults with better awareness of their sensations are more self have better levels of self-regulation, meaning I can Mm. control my emotions and behaviors. I am more, I'm more in touch with myself. I'm healthier. So everything we know about mindfulness, all those thousands of studies about the health benefits of mindfulness apply. And we can even take it further to this, a, a gentle awareness of our bodies and really move, help our children understand that when they have a behavior, there's likely a sensation or emotion, atta- or a sensation or feeling attached to that, that one day they might be able to talk about at, as an emotion. But if, mm. if we ignore it or seclude them when they are feeling that way, it gives them the message that those aren't as important as compliance. And so that's my heart's desire is that parents will understand the beauty of the science coming out in our brain and our body and the wisdom of compassionate awareness. Yay. Oh my goodness. There's so, I love this. I love talking to you so much about this, but I'm sure we could get Yay. together and, <laughs> and like spout off for three hours about this. It's amazing. Um, I know I could talk today. Um, Mona's book is again, brain body parenting, how to stop managing behavior and start raising joyful, resilient kids. You can find it anywhere books are sold. Um, I want to ask you for, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Oh, um, my website is monadelahook.com and, um, Hook with an E, like I imagine Captain Hook spells it. Oh yeah. Not Captain Hook. Yeah. It's, uh, Hook with an E. Della Hook with an E at the end <laughs> and um, Dr. Mona Della Hook on Facebook and um, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, Mona Della Hook PhD or Dr. Mona Della Hook. So I'm on social too. And I love connecting with parents and I love talking to people like you who truly, you're helping, you're helping parents integrate the mind and the body. It's beautiful. So Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, I just, I also wanted to say, ask like one for, for, is there anything that, you know, we miss for the parent who's saying, oh my goodness, you know, I was like, I was top down. I was yeah. ignoring these quote unquote bad behaviors and, and you're opening my eyes. I'm starting to see this the, the, that, oh my God, a lot of these behaviors I thought were bad, or maybe these are maybe actually body motivated behaviors. What, how do they start to integrate this into their lives and into their parenting? Oh, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you asked me that. And I, this is very, very important um, because I know the feeling of learning information and thinking, oh my gosh, I did it wrong. Did I, I did something wrong. Did I harm my children? So I would like to say to any parent who might be hearing this is thinking, oh no, I didn't really do that. Or have I harmed them? Please no. The answer to that is no. You did the best you could with the information you had and children are resilient. The most um, powerful news from neuroscience is that our brains are always updating their predictions. So as parents, there's the window never closes to help our child's brain predict safety, predict different things from the world and from us. And we're wired that way. We're not wired to be perfect parents. Humanity would have not survived if that was the case. So I'd say the most important message is one of self-compassion 
gentleness on yourself and realizing that it's not a matter of getting it right or getting it wrong. It's an ongoing process. Hope mm -hmm. never leaves and your children know you love them. So I hope people leave this, uh, listening to this with hope and warmth and gentleness to yourself and not fear. Yes. Amen. Yes. We, we are going to be imperfect no matter what our, what our thoughts and strategies. So it's okay. It's okay. If you're, you're making, I love that message. I really, really appreciate that Mona. Thank you so much. I really appreciate, I think it's uh, wonderful that you took the time to write the way, the books that you've written and to help start to shift this in the in the psychological community start to shift us into being in our bodies i i feel really grateful for the work that you've done and I, i'm really grateful you took time to come and join us here on the podcast so thank you thank you so much for having me it was really really wonderful to talk to you I hope you loved listening to this conversation as much as I loved having it. I loved talking to Mona. If this kind of thing is something you want to dive into, if you are ready to take it deeper and really make this a priority in your life, you should check out the Mindful Parenting membership. This is what we do all the time. And we had some amazing wins recently. I'm going to give a shout out to some member wins. Daniel meditated and made it to the coaching call to the encouragement of his wife, Katrin, who meditated almost every day. Carrie took the children to the zoo all by herself and managed not to go crazy, stressful, and, and it went really, really well. Alana, shout out, has almost finished module two. She meditated. She did five minutes of yoga this week. And Julia hasn't raised her voice and has worked on assuming positive intent and has been more compassionate with her son all week, which is so awesome. And one more shout out to Amber, who also meditated every day this week. Woot woot! I love these wins. These are some of the things we help you with. We help you create habits that study the heart, the mind, and the nervous system. We help you understand and take care of your triggers. We really help you make compassion a reflexive way of life. And then we have three amazing modules on communication and mindful problem solving to help you and your partner resolve problems based on needs. And we even help you create an incredible environment that supports all of this learning. So if you want in or you want to know more, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and get on the wait list. We'll let you know when we open the doors again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this community. I hope you loved this episode. If you want to share it on your Instagram stories, definitely tag me at Mindful Mama Mentor. I want to see what your takeaways are. And I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you peace and ease and lots more insight and understanding with your child now that you've listened to this awesome episode of the great insights from Mona. So thank you so, so much for listening, my friend. I'll see you next week. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? 
Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.